1961, uh, Walt Disney came out with uh, the animated film, The 101 Dalmatians. How many of you saw that? Just about everybody. Well, it was based on the 1956 novel by uh, Dodie Smith, and and, uh, millions of people watched uh, this movie with their kids. About 35 years later, uh, Disney came out with another version of it, this one with real people and real dogs. It, too, was an instant uh, success. More than $300 million was earned at the box office. Everybody kind of loved to see that, you know, the puppy-hating, uh, fur, fur-coat-making Cruella de Vil get outsmarted by those little cute uh, Dalmatian puppies. As a result of that movie, thousands of people wanted their own Dalmatian puppy, and sales skyrocketed. When these new owners brought home their adorable little black and white spotted puppies, they found that living with a Dalmatian was a lot different than watching them on the big screen. Dalmatians are a challenging breed, evidently, to own for a number of reasons. One, they're rough. Uh, around children, uh, especially young children, and Dalmatians don't mix very well. Uh, They were originally bred to run alongside horse-drawn carriages, not the children. The dogs were bred to do this. Just want to make sure we clear that up. They were also trained and bred to run in front of horses pulling fire wagons, and that's kind of how that all started. Even today, Dalmatians are the firehouse mascot in many locations. The bottom line is these dogs need a lot of exercise and they got a lot of activity. They become restless without it and and even destructive. Uh, But to make matters worse, I have learned as I studied them, they aren't true outdoor dogs. They shed year-round. So you can't keep them in the house and you can't keep them out in the backyard. Add to that the challenge with this breed of hearing impairment. One out of ten Dalmatian puppies is born deaf. And so this, of course, requires extra training and and care. A spokesman for the Wisconsin Humane Society said, and I quote, Dalmatians are beautiful puppies. You just need to know what you're getting into. I found it interesting and somewhat sad that not long after the release of this most recent Disney 101 Dalmatians, according to an Associated Press report I read, dog shelters across the U.S. saw a dramatic increase in the number of Dalmatian dogs being abandoned by their owners. In fact, one Florida organization was brought into existence merely to rescue this one breed of dog. According to them, nine months after the release of the Disney movie, just in their area, they were taking in abandoned Dalmatians at the rate of one every week. This kind of redefines puppy love, doesn't it? Or better yet, it illustrates it very well. This is puppy love. You know, they're beautiful, they're unique. Uh, they're, they're cuddly, but they grow up. They create challenges. They have needs, unique needs. They demand time. As I thought about it, I came up with this definition of puppy love. It could be defined as a temporary infatuation which lacks a willingness to commit 
when challenges become apparent. Agape, on the other hand, moves way beyond puppy love, doesn't it? It it brings the Dalmatian puppy home, and then it adjusts life. It makes arrangements for long walks and chewed-up furniture. It discovers deafness and compensates, adding visual and physical aid. It refuses the temptation to abandon. It refuses to give up. It refuses to trade in. It's one thing to talk about this kind of commitment for a puppy. How much more to a person? Agape chooses to serve and adjust and learn and adapt and give without any guarantee of return. This is the love of God that we have sung about. This is the reflection of the love of Christ who humbled himself and became a bondservant, taking on the form of a man, becoming submissive, that is obedient unto death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. And we immediately think, isn't the love of God great? Isn't Christ the epitome of humility? Isn't it wonderful that he loves us with this kind of agape love? We conveniently overlook the fact that the first part of Philippians chapter 2 tells us maintain this same love, unified in spirit. This passage isn't just describing the great theological truths of the kenosis, the incarnation of Christ. It's a direct command for us to love like he did, to serve one another with humility like he does, to sacrifice our rights and privileges like he does. Agape, ladies and gentlemen, isn't just for God. It is for God's children. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 34. What an assignment. Jesus says, you've seen me love. Now you go and you love like that. It's kind of like having Tiger Woods say to me, Stephen, you've seen me swing the golf club, now you go and swing the same way. I don't know what's so funny about that, (laughs) unless you know what, I hope you don't. But that's going to take an entirely new nature, (laughs) frankly, and thinking, and balance, and coordination, and age to swing the club like that. And I'm going to need a lot of lessons from Tiger, and I probably still won't get it. Jesus Christ said, okay, you've seen me love, now you go love like that. You think, it's going to require an entirely new nature, right down to our DNA. In fact, we might as well be born all over again into somebody new and then become intimately related and submissive and surrender to the Spirit of God, and then we're going to need a lot of lessons, and we're still never going to master it. Here's the primary lesson or manual on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me, before we conclude our series, start by reading my own paraphrase based on our previous studies. You can follow along beginning with verse 4. Love exercises patience toward irritating people. Remember that one? 
Love demonstrates kindness in difficult situations. Love doesn't clutch what it has and want what others have. Love doesn't talk about itself and treat others with arrogance. Love doesn't forget its manners and only look out for number one. Love does not become cantankerous when disappointed. Love doesn't keep a list of wrongs, but daily erases the offenses from the ledger of its heart. Love is not interested in sinful things, but is very excited about the truth. Now we come to the end of this study, and Paul gives us five distinct positive phrases that summarize true agape, true love. Number one, or let's just let's read the verse, verse seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and the first part of verse 8, love never fails. Uh, Let me give you the five points ahead of time. First of all, we have the support of agape. We have the simplicity of agape. We have the sweetness of agape, the steadfastness of agape, and the supremacy of agape. Let's go back to the first one. Paul writes, love bears all things. This is the support of love. Some take this verb here, stego, uh, which can mean to cover as, as sort of its nuance. It's used for a roof that covers a, a house so that Paul has in mind the idea that love will cover over everything. Uh, that nuance could be true. More than likely, this verb here actually refers to the bearing of a load. That is, the strength of the beams that hold the roof up. In other words, true love will, will bear up under a heavy load, great pressure, great insult, great disappointment. One author said it this way, true love gets underneath the, the load of life and bears it to the limit. How true. James Dobson, in his book entitled Love for a Lifetime, tells of the time he heard Francis Schaeffer speaking on love. He described the bridges that were built in Europe by the Romans in the first and second centuries A.D. They are still standing today, let me read, despite the unreinforced brick and mortar with which they were made. Why haven't they collapsed in this modern era? Simply for this reason. They remain intact because they are used for nothing but foot traffic. If a large truck were driven across these historic structures, they would crumble in a great cloud of dust and debris. Schaefer went on to make this application. Marriages that lack determination to hang together at all costs are like these fragile Roman bridges. They appear to be secure and may indeed remain upright until they are put under heavy pressure. 
Then, like unreinforced mud, they will not withstand the weighty trials lying ahead or the pressing weight of the daily wear and tear which builds up over time. In fact, it is the daily load accumulating over time which may be more threatening to a marriage than the catastrophic events of life. In marriage and in relationships in general, true love gets underneath the load and helps carry the load of life. Uh, the Apostle Paul then is saying this phrase that true love bears up under the heavy load of life's problems and suffering despite deprivation and, 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 and it includes hard work and even opposition. Agape lends a hand. It, it shares the burden. It, it joins another person under the pressure of life. It, it lends a shoulder to lift the load. I had lunch with four prospective seminary students who traveled here for the weekend, three from South Carolina and one from Ohio. One was married and already a college graduate, having served now for 15 years as a youth pastor and sensing the need for training. Uh, I asked him about his family, and he told me that he had two children, his wife, and one was 13 and one was 10. Then he went on to tell me that his his 13-year-old son was born with severe uh, brain uh, defects, unable to swallow, severely mentally retarded, unable to move, needing to be fed through tube, 24-hour care in their home. The boy is very aware of life around him, even though emotionally and mentally he's about at the age of three or four. The man's depth of character had already been apparent to me, but now I knew why. He and his wife had chosen to love and care for a child with great challenges. He said to me over lunch, as we were sitting around the table, that God had been so faithful to them in such a sweet and kind a disposition, spirit, no bitterness, no complaining. In fact, he said to me, I know there are a lot of people out there suffering a lot more greatly than, than we do, but our son is a joy to us. See, that is the strength of agape. Next, Paul goes on to tell us about what we'll just call the simplicity of, of agape. He writes, love believes all things. It's completely trusting. As we apply this God word, it simply means that we're taking God at His word. We simply take Him at His word. We trust Him. We don't complicate His word. We, we don't twist His word. We don't redefine His word. We, we take it. We, we trust it at face value. As this relates to other people, this means we give them the, the benefit of, of the doubt. We, we simply choose to believe the most favorable possibility, right? We refuse the urge to be suspicious, to create complicated conspiracies. We, we resist the urge to engage in drama, assigning the worst possible motive to what somebody says or does. Agape believes all things. It's just there's a simplicity to it. It takes the kindest view 
takes God at his word and people at face value. When the scribes and Pharisees, you remember, saw Christ, they thought the worst of him, didn't they? When Jesus told that paralyzed man, you remember in Luke chapter 5, that his sins were forgiven. First thing he said, your sins are forgiven. They immediately jumped to the conclusion that he was blaspheming God. Then he simply validated his ability to forgive sin by doing what only God could do. And he said to the paralyzed man, why don't you pick up your mat and, and, and walk home? And he did. The scribes and Pharisees remained convinced that the Lord was not of God, but an imposter at best. There he was in broad daylight, just healed a paralyzed man, but they couldn't believe the best about Christ. Why? Bottom line, they hated him. They hated him. And hate believes the worst. Agape believes the best. Now understand, simplicity and being simple-minded is not the same thing. These are different things. Leon Morris, in his wonderful Testaments of Love, said, this phrase isn't like the white queen in Alice in Wonderland who believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. No, this, this doesn't mean that love is gullible, easily duped by pretenders. This love is clear-sighted, able to recognize wrong. This love is unlike the world, however, which always believes the worst about people. Agape is eager to believe the best. This is the simplicity. This is the choice that we will believe the best about people. Paul goes on to add a third enduring quality here. This is not only the strength of agape and the simplicity of agape, but the sweetness of agape. You could call even this next phrase the smile of agape. I didn't know which one to go with. They both started with S, so that worked for me in this outline, but I didn't know. I decided on sweetness. Notice where Paul writes further in verse 7, love, hopes, all things. This is the sweet optimism of agape. It never stops hoping. It never takes anybody's failure as final. The world frowns at you. This person smiles at you. Even when you're in trouble, they'll smile. Ever had a teacher like that? I thought this was interesting and it was funny. In fact, Pepper Rogers intended it to be funny. Several years ago when Pepper Rogers was the head football coach at UCLA, he was going through a terrible losing season. He couldn't win a game, couldn't buy a touchdown. The media was hounding him. The alumni of the school were calling for his job. UCLA fans were upset and angry. His friends were becoming more and more scarce. Pepper Rogers said this on one occasion. He said, I wasn't even sure where my wife was at all this. She'd become really quiet. So he kind of complained to her one day and he said, I guess my best friend now is my dog. But a man needs at least two friends. She said, well, then you better go buy another dog. <laughs> this love works when the chips are down. The, the Corinthian church, listen, if you study this letter, you, you, you fully understand they, they don't do much right. But here Paul writes to 
the Corinthian church with these words, great, listen to this, great is my boasting on your behalf. You've got to be kidding. There's nothing to boast about. This is, this is the weak, immature body of believers. They're wayward, tolerating sin. How do you boast? Well, you've got to love them. And love always hopes for the best. So he writes to them in 2 Corinthians 7.15, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. This is that rare coach telling his players. This is that rare teacher telling her students, I believe you can do it. I believe you can make it. Aren't they rare? There's something incredibly infusing about this rare kind of person. And the trouble is we know all, we know very few people like this, don't we? People who see the best in everything and in everyone. People who are full of this sweetness of agape that engenders even more hope and they get around you and they get around me and they just sort of put wind in our sails and they tell us we're behind you, you can, you can do it. Why so few like this? I think it's because our nature gets hung up on the past. We get dulled. So we hear a new believer. new believer comes in. Talk about how great God is and how interesting the Word is. And instead of encouraging them, here we are standing there thinking, well, you know, he'll eventually learn. He'll get over that excitement. Just wait. You talk to a newly married couple. And that young bride, you know, comes up with her husband, you know, and oh, she gushes, look at him, he is so sweet. And you're standing there thinking, just wait. <laughs> See, we go around pouring cold water on everybody's fire. We live in the negative, we live in the accusative case by nature, don't we? Let me just take a little survey. How many, how many Green Bay Packer fans do we have here? Hands shot up everywhere. Obviously, you know, you're, you're not a, a, a Patriots fan or you wouldn't be here tonight, right? <laughs> We're glad you're here. You guys know that raised your hands. Brett Favre broke the NFL record for throwing the greatest number of touchdowns. NFL history. It's amazing. And he's fun to watch. 421 touchdown passes. 15 days later, Brett Favre broke another record. He is now the most intercepted quarterback in NFL history. <laughs> Green Bay Packer fans are going, I can't wait to get you outside, buddy. Just wait. <laughs> you know when you talk to a Green Bay Packer fan and they're going to tell you about that? No. Do they really care about 278 picks? No. They're focused on 421 touchdown passes. They love this team. It's the optimism of this kind of love. You say, I'm so proud of my children. Have they ever disappointed you? 
Of course. But you're focusing on the hope of agape, like Paul with the Corinthians who chose to focus on what they could be and the good they had done. One author wrote, this agape is demonstrated in the hearts of the parents of a backslidden child, the spouse of an unbelieving marriage partner, the church that has disciplined members who do not repent. They all hope in love. Agape hopes all things. They hope that the child, the spouse, the erring brother or sister will be saved or restored. Love refuses to take failure as final. He goes on to add, God would not take Israel's failure as final. Jesus Christ would not take Peter's failure as final. And the Apostle Paul will not take the Corinthians' failure as final. Let's go back to parents for just a minute. Isn't this the great challenge? For dads especially. Your child just might have the record number of failures along with a record number of successes. Which record will you frame and put on the mantle of your memory? True love chooses to focus on hopeful things. Paul reveals a fourth enduring quality. Love, he says, endures all things. This is the steadfastness of love. What a fitting way to end this paragraph, too. Doesn't make a lot of sense? Why not? All the good above in this paragraph is meaningless if you stop, if you quit, if you find some loophole, some escape clause, If it doesn't endure, it doesn't matter. Agape, then he says, does not have a back door. We're told that God will never leave us, nor what? Forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. Nothing shall separate us from the what? Love of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. If we are to love one another, then as Christ loves us, then we will endure. And that makes it matter. I found it interesting and somewhat sad to read about some of the data from the 2007 U.S. Census Bureau regarding marriage today. The findings are reinforcing what some are now calling uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek the seven-year itch. They found that on average, census data Couples that separated did so after seven years, divorced after eight. This particular author that was bringing out the census data said perhaps this is why a very popular politician in Germany by the name of Gabriele Pauli is proposing now legislation that will make uh, legal marriages dissolve after seven years. This legislation will allow couples either to extend their marriages or allow them to terminate automatically after seven years without undue legal burden or tiresome litigation. This kind of legislation is in our future. And why not? Already, as I mentioned, I think in one of our sessions, one author has suggested that we should plan on three spouses over the course of a, a lifetime. This is the love of the world. This is, this is self-focused, self-protecting, self-enamored, 
self-serving. And so a seven-year marriage makes a lot of sense. Ladies and gentlemen, it's puppy love is what it is. It's all it is. It's infatuation until the challenges are realized. It's love only as long as the sun shines. But aren't you glad that the love of Christ is not a seven-year affair? It is everlasting. And as we demonstrate the love of Christ, the agape of God for our spouses and our children and the assembly, we will not be fickle. It will endure. Not that that makes it easy, just because he says it. In fact, the word Paul used here for endure, hupomene, is a word that referred to a soldier uh, deeply involved in battle. He is literally fighting for his life and the lives of his companions, and he refuses to desert the front lines. So he is enduring. That's the idea here. Endure in that way, and you will experience or demonstrate the love of agape for when life gets tough. In his tremendous book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, Kent Hughes writes of his friendship with Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin is the former president of Columbia International University. When he was the president, it was called Columbia Bible College. Robertson's wife, Muriel, was in the late stages of Alzheimer's when Dr. McQuilkin resigned to take care of her. He'd been married, I think, 40-some years. In his resignation letter, he wrote powerful words. My dear wife, Muriel, has been in failing mental health for about eight uh, years. So far, I have been able to care for both her ever-growing needs and my leadership responsibilities at Columbia. Recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented Most of the time she is with me, and almost none of the time I am away from her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with terror that she has lost me and goes in search of me whenever I leave home. It is clear to me now she needs me full time. This decision was made in a way... Forty-some years ago, when I promised to care for her in sickness and in health, till death do us part. He adds, so I have already told the students and the faculty that as a man of my word, I will do it. She has cared for me fully all these years. If I cared for her for the next forty years, I would not be out of debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Now, notice these words. Listen, I do not have to care for her. I get to. I don't have to care for her. I get to. This is much more than the temporary infatuation when everything is sunshine 
and roses. This is love that issues forth during the pressures and challenges of life. This is the endurance of love. There's one more enduring quality here. Let's get to it. The first part of verse 8 and on to the end of the chapter, Paul will speak on the supremacy of love. So let's just slip down for just a moment here as we bring the series to a close to the first phrase in verse 8. He writes this about agape. And let me, let me give you my own translation. Love never falls to the ground. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will taper off. If there are tongues, they will stop. If there is knowledge, that is the revelatory word of knowledge, it will taper off as well. Now, you remember from verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul told us that all tongues and all knowledge and all prophecy and all faith was worthless without love. In fact, we just make a lot of noise as if we're just banging cymbals. You remember that? And now he informs us that these wonderful gifts are temporary, but love is eternal. This is sort of the exclamation point of agape. He says, nothing outlasts true love. This is This is why it is supreme. One day in heaven, we're not going to need faith. We're not going to need hope. I'm not going to volunteer to teach. We don't need mercy. None of the gifts. But love will last. The word here for fails or falls, pipto, is a word the Greeks used for the falling of a petal from a flower. To the ground, or the falling of a leaf that would then wither and die. Paul says, true love, the love of Christ, never falls down. It never withers away. It chooses to remain constant and connected. This is the constancy. This is the loyalty. This is the dependability. This is the dedication and the faithfulness and the devotion of true, genuine, Christ-imitating, God-honoring love. One day, Charles Spurgeon, the well-known London pastor of the 1800s, was walking through the English countryside with a friend and And as they strolled along, the pastor noticed a barn with a weather vane on top of that barn, and inscribed on the weather vane were the words, God is love. And Charles Spurgeon said to his friend that he felt that was a rather inappropriate uh, place for such a message. He said, weather vanes are, are changeable, but God's love is constant. And the friend responded, No, Charles, I I think you misunderstand the meaning. I think the weather vane is indicating a truth, regardless of which way the wind blows. God is love. Agape, ladies and gentlemen, is simply the description of the character of God, and these are the enduring qualities of true love, which not only mirror the nature of God, but demonstrate His love through us. There is the support of love. It, it bears up under the pressure of all things. There is the simplicity of love. It believes the best 
of people. There is the sweetness of love. It chooses to infuse itself and others with hope. This is the steadfastness of love. It refuses to run from the challenges of life. This is the supremacy of love. It outlasts any gift, any act of piety, any demonstration of ministry or philanthropy. It is greater than all faith. It is greater than all hope. It lasts forever. Who do we know that loves like this? Christ. Christ himself. And as we are conformed into the image and confess our dependency upon him, we demonstrate a little bit of his nature as well, don't we? But it's going to take a lifetime of practice and we'll never fully master it. But we strive for the goal. The goal is to please our Father. And as we pursue Him, as we surrender to the Spirit, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is first and foremost, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we, like Him, demonstrate to our world lives marked with this Amazing quality, true love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these descriptive phrases, these wonderful 15 powerful verbs to give us a manual on love, what it's like, how it acts, how it treats others. And so, Father, we come to the end of this study knowing not only have we just begun to discover the truth of agape, we have discovered our total need for you and your Spirit to cause us as an assembly of believers, to call us as husbands and wives, sons, daughters, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, to have these kind of qualities. And so, because we recognize that that agape is impossible, it is commanded. So, as we depend upon you and you alone, with God, all things are possible. And so, our own human impossibility is exchanged for the possibility of your Spirit dwelling in us and demonstrating through us true love. There's a lot of work, Father, you're going to have to do in my heart. And I'm sure the beloved here tonight would say the same. Would you ask the Spirit of God to first and foremost be your goal? Not any one of these verbs. Don't muster it up. Don't say, I'm going to be more like this. No, Say, Spirit of God, I want to pursue you, obey you. I confess to you my record-breaking list of failures. Thank you for the hope of the Spirit.
who loves us, who whispers to us, as it were, through his word, I have confidence and boast in what you will do as you surrender to me. Would you ask the Spirit of God to become the goal you pursue and his fruit to be your greatest treasure? Do that now. Father, we delight in the truth of your word cause us to delight in the application of this truth in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.